0: But for now, we return to our study of the letters of Peter that we've been looking at. We're still in the first letter that Peter wrote. Um, We have uh, dived into uh, chapter 2. And up till now, up to this point, Peter has really plumbed the depths. We've spent these last weeks as Peter has plumbed the depths of whom Jesus is, telling us who Jesus is as well as how our identity flows out of who Christ is what Christ has done and continues to do in and through us. Last week, if you were here, and I hope you were, we learned together that we are God's building project. Living stones being fit together as the temple of the Lord, a house of prayer as Jesus Jesus envisioned it for all the nations. We're being made into a holy and royal priesthood, building bridges through our hands our hands-on presence and our prayers for others to come to Christ. And we lead people to Jesus by offering spiritual sacrifices. Peter writes, putting acts of love, inclusion and mercy towards others above and before our own interests. Today we come to a turning point in the letter. You can open up those Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We come to a turning point. We'll be looking at starting with verse 11. And it was just two verses that we're going to look at today. Peter is going to shift his focus by emphasizing who we are because of Jesus changes the way we live for Jesus. And as you have those Bibles open to 1 Peter chapter 2, page 851 in your pew Bible, if you don't have a Bible with you, as we open our Bibles, Peter's going to share with us in just two verses, three things that we're going to hear this morning. He's going to share with us a mindset to adopt, a war to be won. And a witness to give. A mindset to adopt, a war to be won, and a witness to give. Let us listen carefully as Peter begins this transition by repeating in these two verses a designation for us as the body of Christ with which he previously opened the letter. It is a way of perceiving ourselves, our role, and place in the world to which we are not accustomed. So listen carefully. Here it is 1 Peter 2, verses 11 through 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends, Beloved is another way of translating this. I urge you as foreigners and exiles. I've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. Peter's words here resonated with his original audience. In their day, these churches in Asia Minor, modern Turkey, these communities built on Christ were regularly experiencing cynicism, even hostility because of living out of their faith. Their neighbors, their co-workers, even the government itself criticized them for disturbing the peace and order of the Roman Empire. As a result, they did collectively feel like exiles. They lived as outsiders and therefore came to see themselves as pilgrims. Another word here for exile or foreigner. They came to see themselves as pilgrims, people on the way to a better home and a brighter future. Because times have changed and our circumstances are different, Seeing ourselves as foreigners or exiles, seeing ourselves as pilgrims, isn't our dominant model for following Jesus. But for Peter, that's where he starts. This is the mindset he wants us to adopt. But we don't embrace this. We we have a tendency, if we can admit this this morning, we have a tendency to take our freedom to worship and our witness for granted. We have a tendency for our faith in Christ to become primarily focused on the here and now. What will Jesus do for my marriage? How will he assist me in raising my kids? Will Jesus help me succeed in my career? Will he enable me to overcome all my problems? Will following Jesus make me fulfilled as a person, feel fulfilled as a person? And I want to be clear in in pointing this out. There's nothing wrong about enjoying Jesus and the blessings he freely gives to us. The disconnect why this mindset that Peter wants us to adopt is so important, the problem arises when we get so consumed with the here and now that we cling to the present as long as we can. And death, death becomes not the gateway to everything for which we've been living, but death becomes something to be postponed and avoided at all costs. When we perceive This life, when we live as if this life is all there is, we avoid risk. We avoid struggle. We shy away from pain and perceive, in fact, suffering, when we do experience it, we perceive suffering as an invalidation or challenge to our faith rather than a means of reorienting and kindling our hope. One of Peter's repeated themes throughout this letter is finding ourselves outsiders, feeling like strangers, seeing ourselves as pilgrims should not be unexpected or surprising for us. Because this world as it stands is not our home. This world as it stands until Jesus returns is not our home. This life as it is until we have overcome death in Christ is not our final destination. Going all the way back to Abraham, through Moses, and onwards to the first disciples, our faith is a story of being called out of where we are to become pilgrims, journeying by faith through foreign territory into a promised land. Therefore, Peter stresses this mindset that we have to adopt. Peter stresses we need to live in this world with a different mindset. We need to live as visitors. And if you think about it, a visitor doesn't have the same orientation to things as a permanent resident does, right? When we're on vacation, when we're a guest in someone else's house, we behave differently, don't we? Travelers, they can't get attached to the place they're passing through. They enjoy the beauty and encounter the customs, but they don't start hanging pictures on the wall and settling in. Because if you've ever been away from home, home sits with you. Because you don't settle in because going home eventually is always on our mind and on our heart. Belonging to Christ, our primary citizenship, Peter is writing, isn't here and now. It isn't in this nation or any other. Peter's point is our primary citizenship is in the kingdom of God. Our primary home is in the purposes and will of our heavenly father to put not too fine a point on it, the good life, the good life, and dare I even say it, our best life now, is not the goal of our faith in Jesus Christ. If we're just living for the good life that being a Christian gives now, if that's all we're living for, we're treating Jesus as a vacation timeshare rather than making him our home. Heaven on earth is more than a nice benefit at the end of the ride. Being in perfect, loving, and truthful relationship together in and with Jesus is our forever and final destination. And so Peter says we have to adopt a different mindset. We can't settle down. We need to remain focused and expectant because the journey home, as he goes on, is not without its hazards. It's not without its obstacles. It's not without opposition to be faced. Peter plainly tells us we have a mindset to adopt, but he also tells us we're in a war from now until our great homecoming. His word choice here, if you have those Bibles open, is particularly important. The expression he uses, wage war, points not to a single battle, but an ongoing campaign, a fierce, constant struggle to be fought against. In other words, my friends in Christ, declaring yourself a Christian does not eliminate the pull towards gratifying our self-will in opposition to God's will. Declaring yourself a Christian does not eliminate the pull of gratifying our self-will in opposition to God's will, which is, by the way, the very definition of sin. Think about it. Consider in the scriptures, consider how often those who came to faith in the Lord fell into sin years afterward. After surviving the flood, Noah got drunk and indecently exposed himself to his children. David, the man after God's own heart, became overcome by his lust for Bathsheba. Hezekiah, a godly king who brought great reform, was later brought down in his life by pride. After being called and following him as his disciples, Peter denied Jesus and Judas outright betrayed him. What Peter wants us to understand is that what is coming at us is nothing less than a full-scale assault upon our souls. And using that word soul, Peter is referring to the whole person, the totality of our being. But where exactly is the point of attack? As people, we consist of body and spirit. Our bodies are the conduits of our minds, our thoughts, And our hearts, our feelings, the expression of our thoughts and our feelings come together in the application of our wills. Thanks to Jesus, we've received the Holy Spirit, the spirit of freedom and peace. The spirit we have been given is the only part of us completely yielded to God. Our wills, and that means therefore our thoughts and our feelings, still wrestle with being submitted to the Holy Spirit. Our will is not destroyed at conversion. Our will doesn't grow weaker as we get older. In fact, it often gets stronger, doesn't it? God doesn't just break our will or gradually wear us down. To do so would invalidate how we were created, the whole point of our redemption. Our Father wants us to be in relationship with him, not by coercion, not because we're programmed to and have no other choice. Our Father desires for us to yield to his invitation, to be loved, to be taught, to be guided by him. He gives us his spirit as our helper, our counselor, our power source for our will to be changed and transformed. But we have to yield and conform to the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Another way of saying this is, beloved, we don't sin by accident after we come to Jesus. We sin because we want to. We sin because we want to. Peter describes the force of the attack as sinful desires. And he's referring to you may have other translations he's referring here to more than sexual sins other translations will say desires of the flesh he's referring to way more than just sexual sins sinful desires covers the whole spectrum of passions and longings we have it includes all forms of self-seeking whether directed towards wealth power or pleasure and it's important to understand as we nuance this all desires are not necessarily wrong or evil Our foundational desires to love and be loved, to be safe, to grow and achieve are God-given. They were instilled in us by our Heavenly Father. What Peter cautions us to abstain from are sinful desires, desires gone bad. Sinful desires are unbridled desires, desires that become disconnected from keeping us in relationship with God. Sinful desires are longings that have gone too far, they become so strong. And that's the very definition of lust, by the way. Lust is an inordinately unhealthy, strong desire. Sinful desires are longings that go too far. They become so strong, they misdirect us over the boundaries of what is good for us. They misdirect us away from our dependence upon our Father and therefore inevitably lead us to our own self-destruction. Again, This is so crucial. What's at the heart of a sinful desire is not alcohol. It's not sex. It's not gossip. It's not money. The real conflict Peter is telling us to face is the rebellion of our will. Longing for and entertaining something we know is wrong, but we really want anyway. An unbridled desire for food, for example to meet to eat as much as we can as often as we can is not as much about a desire for food food is merely the tool for fulfilling a self-centered desire for personal pleasure my friends if we only deal with the symptom the tool we never get to the root of the conflict At the heart of all sinful desires, all of them, is the belief that satisfying that desire to please ourselves or to please others will fulfill or complete us. When our predominant desire is to please ourselves or to please others, to find peace and contentment, we are becoming casualties, Peter wants us to understand. Casualties of a dangerous lie, a deadly trap. We tell ourselves, this will finally make me happy. At last, this will give me what I want, what I really need. But only our creator, only our father, only Jesus can give us what we really want, all that we really need, the faith, the love, the hope, the peace that we crave. In the end, pleasing God, Others or just pleasing ourselves apart or before living for the glory of God will take away more from us than it gives. We won't find or complete ourselves. We'll lose ourselves as our desires begin to control us. We'll move on from food to sex and if not sex to drugs and if it's not drugs to alcohol and if it's not alcohol to shopping and if it's not shopping to gambling and if it's not gambling to gossip and if it's not gossip to stealing and if it's not stealing to money and if it's not money, it's power and on and on it goes until we don't even know who we are anymore, until we literally, as Peter writes it, and effectively lose our souls. And that's why Peter implores us to abstain from these kinds of desires. He doesn't advise us to just control them, get a grip. Peter insists we don't engage in them at all. Now it's interesting because Peter's extreme words of caution here have led some of us in the faith to respond by running and hiding from the world around us. You know, to, to avoid getting too comfortable in the here and now, we completely withdraw. We separate ourselves from others and live in somberness and suspicion of the world and its pleasures. This kind of response, I, I believe, is, is, is frankly um, responsible for our image problem in the church. Such a posture makes the message of the gospel appear to be that following Jesus is about being so self-righteous you're unable to enjoy life yourself and therefore you're determined to spoil life for everybody else. But Peter is not advising us to withdraw from the world. Peter is not advising us to withdraw from the world. In this war to be won, he writes, there is no retreat and no surrender for us as pilgrims on the way. A complete withdrawal runs counter to Peter's whole purpose for writing, which is to instruct us how to engage the world around us for Christ. Beloved, God created us to flourish, not to flounder as human beings. And we cannot flourish if we seclude ourselves, if we hide out in fear and turn the church into a spiritual panic room. We need to get into the game. And engage the struggle before us. That's our great commission. That's our call as disciples of Christ. The war being waged before us is not a conflict between those who desire pleasure and those who abstain from it, it's between those who are satisfied with less and those who want more. The problem is not the pursuit of pleasure. The problem is accepting cheap substitutes that don't just replace, but rob us of true, lasting joy. Is real joy, is lasting pleasure found in fashion? Is it found in style? Is it found in travel? Is it found in sex? Is it found in shopping? Is it found in eating and drinking and just having a good time? No, No, these are cheap thrills. Good thrills, but cheap thrills. They won't take you. They won't take you to the heights of contentment for which you were created. They won't fulfill you beyond a one-night stand, a long weekend, or a two-week vacation. Real joy. Lasting pleasure comes from knowing and living out our purpose in life. It's taking delight in our identity in Christ and the blessings He has given us. My friends, real joy is redemption. Real joy is redemption. It's knowing what has been lost will be found. Real joy is reconciliation, being assured that what is broken will be fixed and restored, real joy is resurrection, understanding that that which dies will rise again. We ought to meditate on these blessings regularly. We can never focus on these desires or enjoy these eternal pleasures too much. In fact, in so doing, we are playing our part in the battle before us. We engage in this war to be won, Peter writes. We abstain from the sinful desires through the witness we have to give. Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter's answer is not to retreat, not to surrender, but to be a people devoted to good works. My friends, the good news is we're participating in a war to be won, not lost. Jesus has turned the tide. The outcome is not in jeopardy or in doubt. The Holy Spirit is on the front lines. We just have to be attentive and committed to the campaign being waged on our behalf. Our role in this conflict is to be witnesses to the victory that is ours. That it's the world's in Christ. We bear witness to the reign of our Father and the power of the cross and the resurrection by following Jesus. And we are following Jesus when we yield to the truth of the word of God and submit to the power of the Holy Spirit. More practically, following Jesus means we live like Jesus, doing what Jesus primarily did. And what was that? Revealing The kingdom of God by serving others. As we yield our wills to God and by his leading attend to the good of others before pleasing ourselves, these good works Peter will write elsewhere that he has prepared for us in advance to do. When we do this, we're submitting ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in serving others above ourselves, trusting and depending upon Jesus in this way that Jesus transforms our will. Our thoughts and our feelings are changed. Our desires become healthy and balanced as Jesus brings us into conformity with his image in us and our identity in him. But there's a twofold benefit here. If you have that Bible open, there's a 2 benefit here. Not only do our good works in serving others counteract the pull and tug of our own sinful desires, if you have that Bible open, Peter writes, it also blesses those we are serving by pointing them to Jesus. We have a witness to give by making the gospel real in their lives. I think sometimes that's the greatest danger. I think sometimes that's the greatest danger for sincere Christians. The greatest danger for sincere Christians is to turn our desire for Jesus into a calling to focus on ourselves. Where we study the Bible for our own growth, where we pray for our own needs, where we worship together for our own encouragement. When Peter writes about the war being waged, it's not simply a battle against the welfare of our souls. When Peter writes about a war being waged, it is a war being waged to keep us from battling for the souls of others. Do you hear that, church? The war that is being waged is not just a battle against the welfare of our souls. It's a battle, a war being waged to keep us from battling for the souls of others. We heard this last week. Peter will come back to it. We are being built into a spiritual house, made into a royal and holy priesthood for the purpose of extending the reach of the kingdom of God. We are to declare God's praises that others may declare his praises. We are to live good lives that others may be won over and give glory to God. The philosopher and author Dallas Willard has argued We don't need to make outreach our primary goal. Instead, our real challenge is in reach. The most compelling way to encounter and transform a cynical and hostile world is not by withdrawing from it, and it's not by trying to change them. It's allowing ourselves to be changed, to be transformed by Christ. Christ. And that's why Peter is going to spend the rest of this first letter focusing not so much on them as he does on us. In the weeks ahead, he will unpack for us what it looks like to follow Jesus in our interactions with the government, our relationship in marriage and family, and our engagement with our work. But for now, Peter reminds us of something we forget, or perhaps we don't even realize. People specifically those who do not know Jesus or those who think they know Jesus people are watching us the word the word translated as here as see is actually a really unusual word in Greek. It means more than a glance or passing look. It has the nuance of long-term reflective observation. Missionaries who have gone to uh, other cultures often tell about how the natives of that culture will often come and stand at at their open windows and carefully observe and study everything they do to see how they do it. Whether we know it or not, people outside the faith watch us all the time. From a distance, sometimes even closer than we realize, they pay attention to how we do things. They see how we react to things at work. They observe how we talk about others. They watch how we deal with problems. They note how we treat our family and our friends. Now, let's be clear, Peter's not as naive as to think that our good deeds will result in the immediate conversion of people. He acknowledges we will stand out, often falsely accused and misrepresented. But once again, for Peter, that's fine. That's fine. What Peter is asserting is when others around us can see that because of the gospel, we are prevailing. Because they can see that there is genuine hope in our lives in the midst of this war against sin, when they witness our service to others, not out of personal benefit, not to make ourselves look good or to gain an advantage. When people look below the surface, between the cracks and behind the scenes of our lives and experience the true light of Christ shining within us and out of us in the midst of this darkened world, they will not be able to deny the brightness the power the warmth the goodness of the light it will be as inarguable as undeniable as attractive as the very presence of jesus when he walked the earth beloved we have a witness to give Our singular testimony, this is it, our singular testimony is to glorify God to make Jesus beautiful by following him, by revealing him through every area of our lives. But here's the thing. There's no way around it. Our witness has to pass the sniff test. We have to walk the talk. Unconditional love, radical generosity humble integrity sincere mercy these cannot be faked they have to be real and practice in our lives talk is cheap handing people a bible is great inviting them to church is wonderful telling them you'll pray for them is nice serving others for a couple hours is noble But the call of Christ is about sharing our lives with others. It's being transparent by opening up our lives, the spaces where we live, to others. It's being vulnerable and honest in revealing how Jesus is reigning in our life, our life, and confessing where we're still wrestling with sinful desires. It's being available by doing more than dedicating time in our schedule, but to literally sacrifice our scheduling of time for the sake of another person. Please, everybody hear this. It is being available by doing more than dedicating time in our schedule. It is literally to sacrifice our scheduling of time for the sake of another person. And if we're so busy that we can't do that, then who really is the Lord of our time? It's being authentically joyful, authentically joyful in serving others, not going through the motions of doing good and being nice, not trying to appease others or manipulate people for our own gain. No, it's taking and sharing the joy of being a blessing to others. We are making an impression, Peter wants us to understand, about our Father's kingdom. We are making an impression We are the reflection, as crazy as that sounds, we are the reflection of Christ's image in the world. Is it truthful? Is it authentic? Is it beautiful, like Jesus is beautiful? Is it good, like the gospel is good news? One of my favorite theologians and authors is John Stott, who recently went home to the Lord. And the brilliant theologian John Stott once said, Life on earth is a brief pilgrimage between two moments of nakedness. So we would be wise to travel light. We shall take nothing with us. My friends, the life of a follower of Jesus is the life of a pilgrim. We mustn't get too comfortable here We cannot settle for cheap thrills that pull us away from what really matters and is fulfilling, that demoralize us and keep us from becoming who we can be in Christ. There is a war to be won, a continuous battle that rages not only for our souls, but battles for the souls of those around us. Being selfish and pleasing our ego, either by our retreat or by our surrender to the world around us, is not an option. The war is not ours to win, Jesus has already got that. It's ours to engage by serving others through the witness we have to give, the witness of our redemption in Christ, our recreation in his image, as we are being restored day by day to the purpose for which we were created, the joy of glorifying God by being a blessing to others. The greatest joy, no question, no debate, the greatest joy we can know in this life, a pleasure and contentment beyond what we will ever know in living for ourselves. The greatest joy we can know in this life is the joy of leading others into their comprehension of the greatness of their salvation, their freedom in Christ. So let us continue to be restless. Let us continue to be restless for eternity. Let us continue to be eager for the great homecoming that awaits us all, a perfected world, a healed community, an ongoing relationship as a holy people in and with Christ is our final and forever destination. Therefore, let us hold on loosely and travel light for the best is yet to come. Amen.